Thanks, guys. Well, welcome to Harvest Church. My name is Kenan Vaughn, and uh, I've got the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here. And uh, if you'll open your Bibles to Romans chapter 10, uh, this morning we are in our core value series, and we will be continuing with our fourth core value. Uh, We have talked about what it means to be gospel-driven. That was number one. Uh, To be a disciple-making church was number two. Uh, to have authentic community amidst our body was number three, and uh, this morning we'll be talking about missions in our fourth core value. I hope you all have had a great weekend. For us in the Vaughn household, it was a little extra special. Um, <clears throat> Friday night, my son, um, Caleb, who's about to turn six, capped off an undefeated season with his team, the Super Fast Gooey Cheetahs, and so uh, we were walking on air this weekend, man. It was good. Good to be a cheetah. Well, if you'll meet me here in Romans chapter 10, um, we're going to just read this paragraph that I bet is one you're familiar with that needs very little application. Normally, we take our time and walk through a text. This one kind of speaks for itself. Most of what I will do this morning is to illustrate what is obvious in this text. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and following, you'll read along with me. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scriptures say, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. It's the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of this text that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That with our hearts we believe and are justified, with our mouth we profess and are saved. And Lord, it's all a work of grace, that there's nothing we can do in and of ourselves to earn uh, uh, righteousness, to earn our way into your presence. We can't deserve it. Lord, we deserve death and we deserve judgment. And yet you have bridged the gap between you and us with the blood of your Son, purchased us with the blood of your son. By his stripes we are healed. God, we thank you for this truth. And Lord, we long for this truth to be known, not just by those in our church and in our community, but to the ends of the earth as we send shoeboxes out. What a privilege it is to share the gospel with a small act of love and a small letter of the gospel that you might use that and in your providence you may ignite hearts and minds to see you for who you are, a God who has loved them enough to pay the price for their sin, that they may call you Abba, Father, and you may adopt them as sons and daughters into your kingdom. We pray that that might happen. Lord, as we talk about missions and living missionally this morning, I just pray that you would anoint this time for your purposes, that you would speak through me, and Father, that I might decrease, that you would increase during this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to start with a story. Steve and I um, had the chance to lead a trip, uh, a missions trip, if you've been on one, to uh, East Asia. Uh, This was in 2007. And on this particular trip, we were working with the leaders from the underground church. 
Some of you may have had uh, interaction with the underground church. It's pretty special what's happening, the way the gospel is advancing and multiplying in East Asia. It's actually um, uh, pretty flabbergasting the way that Jesus is on the move there. And so we were working with the leaders of the underground church. The, the idea was that every day of the week we would go from about seven-ish, seven to eight kind of a gathering time. They don't want everybody to come at the same time there uh, because that would alert the authorities to the gathering that was potentially a church gathering. And, and as, as, as quickly as they were alerted, they would disband the gathering and they could potentially take even harsher acts of uh, penalizing those who would gather. So there's kind of an hour where you just kind of slide in and everybody kind of slowly gathers. And then um, in the church service, uh, it's much different than our um, services or that any service that I experienced, um, they would gather around in a time of fellowship. They would usually start with prayer. And as people were gathering, they would just be praying. So literally, he's one of the first ones there. We would just be in prayer for the first hour. And as folks continued to show up, the prayers would grow. And, and, and as they did, one or two of the leaders would just kind of um, uh, make up they would literally uh, write hymns on the spot. Um, and then there were some classics that we all knew. And, and of course, even though they were singing in Mandarin, I could follow along with the tunes at times. Couldn't carry the tunes, but I could follow along with the tunes. Um, and, uh, and, and we would sing these songs that were either immediately composed or uh, were classics that they knew. And at the same time, there would be one of the leaders, Brother John, would usually sit against the wall, and he would just close his eyes, and he would quote Scripture, whether it was a paragraph or a chapter, whatever it was that we were going to be uh, looking at that night, because they couldn't, they couldn't have Bible, Bibles, and they couldn't carry Bibles across town into this meeting. If they had one, it was uh, likely hidden for their precious quiet time when they could spend time in it. So one of the leaders would quote, and as many ladies that could huddle around him would scribe out what he was saying. And then they would turn around, and they would have little groups of ladies gathered around them, and they would scribe out. And so literally by the time that hour of prayer and singing of hymns was done, there was copies of the manuscript that we were going to be preaching for everyone in the church. And we met in a one-room uh, apartment on, gosh, maybe the third or fourth floor of, uh, of this uh, crowded uh, uh, apartment complex. And in a one-room apartment, we must have fit 50 or 60 believers in there. I mean, it was packed tight. It was hot. And we would uh, really worship, gathering seven to eight, worship from maybe eight to midnight. And they would, we, we would disband it for the night. Well, at the same time that was going on, there was across the street a factory. And this factory was, uh, there was, there was no gospel witness alive in the factory. It was, um, there were uh, thousands of people that worked there, and um, they didn't know of any Christians. And so we had the privilege to just be there. Half our team every day and night would spend at the factory. Other half would be in school systems or preparing for the uh, service that evening where we were training leaders in the house church. And if you're at the factory, you were mostly just building relationships. Uh, we were there with them at the breaks. We were playing basketball with them. We were eating with them. We were telling stories. And the goal was to build a relationship so that on the final night, we might be able to have a parenting seminar and just kind of talk about parenting from a gospel-centered perspective. Well, on the eve of our final night, Brother John, who um, one of the leaders of the house church movement in East Asia, one of the 16 founding fathers of that movement, um, who's got just an unbelievable story and testimony, uh, he met with myself and Steve, and he said, guys, I've been praying about this. And when he prays, it's like a direct conversation with Jesus. Um, and he said, I've been praying about this, and um, tomorrow we would like to ask if the half of your team that is in the factory um, would take the opportunity at the end of the parenting seminar to share the gospel. We think that would be a good thing. Now, we had been coached to be really careful with how you talked about Jesus, that that could, could kind of end our, our witness. And, and so we said, um, okay, that's okay. And he says, yes, likely you guys will be kicked out of our country, but you're leaving tomorrow anyway, <laughs> which is just kind of an eye-opening. I mean, you're kind of listening going, oh, wow, you know, this is different. And so me and Steve just kind of sit there, and, um, you know, I'm hoping he'll say something. I'm hoping I'm going to say something. And, and I'm like, so, Brother John, you think we share the gospel, and, you know, maybe they kick us out of the country, but we're leaving tomorrow, and that seems like it makes sense to you. 
And he said, that's, what we, that's what's on our heart. That's what we've been praying. That's what we would suggest you do. You talk about going home, and Steve and I are just kind of like, oh, my gosh. So that night, we're just praying. And, I mean, it's a whole different level of intensity when you're, uh, when you're involved in that kind of a work. And uh, we were quite fearful. And the next day is, uh, is uh, the providence of God was ha- would have it. I was on to teach in the house church. So this was largely going to be Steve's ordeal. And... Um, <clears throat> Uh, <laughs> so Steve takes half the team to the factory. I've got half the team, and we're in the underground church. And, um, and the training uh, kicks off and begins as normal. The parenting seminar is to run from 7 to 9, and apparently there was a packed house due to the relationship building of folks there to learn about parenting. Uh, Brother John said no one teaches them how to parent. They have no idea uh, how, to, uh, how to love and nurture and raise their children, so they were eager to learn. Well, I knew the parenting seminar was supposed to last 7 to 9. I figured sometime around 9 the gospel would be shared. And, um, and so sure enough, we were in the midst of a time where we were finishing up singing in the house church. And I happened to look at my watch, and I noticed it was a few minutes after 9. So I whispered to Jacob, who was the son of Brother John, uh, bilingual, and he was uh, uh, part of the time he served as a translator for us. I whispered to Jacob, I said, hey, Jacob, I bet you that uh, our team is sharing the gospel about now in the factory. And Jacob immediately just hollered out to his father, Brother John, who was leading our service at the time, and quickly spoke in Mandarin. And Brother John uh, looks alarmed and, and raises his hands and uh, said a few things. And like as he said whatever he said, everyone in the whole place dropped to their knees and burst out with prayers like nothing I've ever heard. Immediately, hands were going to the heavens. Everyone was on their knees. And, and the only way I can describe the prayers of 50 to 60 believers uh, was ferocious um, they were praying with some kind of fierce tenacity. It was almost militaristic. I had never heard uh, the way, the authority with which, and it was so loud that I, I couldn't hear, and I, honestly, I just had chills up my spine, and I had to call out to Jacob praying. I said, Jacob! And Jacob looks at me, and I said, what do they do? What are they praying? What's going on? And he prayed, they're praying. He said, they're praying for the salvation of those in the factory. And I looked around and I saw these people on their knees just, just chanting out, barking out the most intense and tenacious prayers I've ever seen in my life. There was a 60 to 70 year old woman right next to me who literally on her knees was just speaking in Mandarin just like this over and over. And I had no idea what she was saying, but it felt incredibly powerful. And I remember thinking as I watched this and felt it for about 20 minutes, the group just prayed, I remember thinking, there has to be someone getting saved across the street. I literally, in fact, I had an image in my mind, and it turns out it's, it's Matthew 12. I didn't know where it was at the time, but I, I thought about the verse where um, uh, uh, Jesus is speaking and saying, uh, to take the possessions out of the strong man's house, you have to go in and bind up the strong man. And I just had this picture of uh, Satan being bound up and the Lord redeeming a people, and it just felt like somebody's getting saved. Like, this is too powerful. And so a little later, it was my turn uh, to get up and teach, and I was up there teaching. And sometimes, Steve and I have talked about this, sometime between 1030 and 11, um, uh, there's a little secret knock on the door that we used. And so um, the door opened, and Steve appeared. And me, and again, we're one of the only few that speak English, but in my excitement, I literally stopped teaching and bust out, and I said, Steve, I said, did everyone get saved? And maybe I meant to say anyone, but I said, did everyone? I said, did everyone get saved? That was, I mean, what a ridiculous question. And um, Steve looks back and smiles and says, Kenan, you're not going to believe this. Everyone got saved. I said, I said Steve, um, and he goes, matter of fact, Kenan, he said, Lamar shared the gospel with the people, and every hand went up to be saved, and so we told them to put their hands down. We said there's a misunderstanding. 
And so we started again. He said we shared the gospel just cover to cover an entire second time. And it said if you want to count the cost and lay your life down to take up a cross and receive the persecution of a country that does not know Jesus and follow him, every hand went up. And Lamar looked at me and I looked at him and we said, let's pray. I said, Steve, what time? What time did did that take place? Because truthfully, I didn't know. So what time? And Steve goes, you know, I actually looked at my watch. He goes, when Lamar got up and shared the gospel, it was 9.13. I said, Steve, I want to tell you something. If you could have seen what was going on in here at 9.13, you'd know why everyone over there got saved. Uh, And I want to tell you, it was so powerful for Steve and I and our team and um, we, you know, Brother John shared with the group what had happened. They're bust out in celebration and singing. We just paused the message and had like an hour of celebration. Um, I went back and, you know, kind of laying in bed that night, you know, uh, you couldn't just, it wasn't just like, oh, back to normal. Like, like I was just messed up. And um, as I'm laying in bed thinking that night, like, I, the question I was wondering, why haven't I ever seen or experienced or been a part of anything like this in my entire life? That was the question that was eating me up. I think, is it cultural? Is it, is it just here but not in the States or in the West? And, um, and, and here's the few thoughts I had in, on that night. I had the thought, you know, well, I've never truthfully prayed uh, like they prayed that night for the salvation of the lost. As a matter of fact, I've never been a part of a group of people who prayed like that for the salvation of the lost. Second thought was, I, um, I don't know if I've ever risked alongside a group of people the way they were willing to risk that night for the gospel to go forth. And I thought at the end of the day, maybe, maybe the idea was that um, I wasn't as captured by the mission of God as those believers in East Asia were. Well, I've had some time from then till now to consider um, that experience along with others I've had. And here, here's what I've concluded. Um, I don't think the enemy is any less active here in the States, in Memphis, Tennessee, than he is or was in East Asia in 2007. In fact, you can look around the culture and the society we live in, and I think the conclusion is obvious. The enemy's not less active. There's an incredible attack on the biblical view of family like there's never been before right here in the West. There's an incredible compromise of biblical truth and biblical standards in our society. There's a loss of biblical worldview in our schools. There's a lack of esteem for human life that's never existed like it exists in our home today. The enemy is no less active here than he is there. But I'll tell you this, the gospel is no less powerful. The gospel is no less powerful this morning than it was that evening in East Asia. And I look at those two truths. The enemy is no less active and the gospel is no less powerful. And I think about why the disconnect? Why the disconnect? And I'm going to speak in a a gross generality when I say this. But the only conclusion I can draw is that it seems like, at least in some degree, the American church is asleep at the wheel. And I don't understand the things of spiritual warfare. I know that that night it was as if I got to see the curtain rolled back and I saw the spiritual forces of evil who brought darkness in that factory, championed by their prince of darkness, Satan. And I saw the Lord of lords and king of kings bind a strong man, redeem a people for his purpose, and be glorified in that. Now, why don't we see and experience that? Why is that seemingly, and generally speaking, less normative here? And the only thing I always have this picture of in my mind is the American church, and uh, even the church in Memphis, even right here where we are, is a sleeping giant. Giant because, my goodness, the, 
the resources God has given us in terms of our time, specifically in our generation and day, our time, our talent, our treasure, the potential is unbelievable to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But sleeping, very cozy, very comfortable. It's as if Satan fluffs our pillow and pulls a warm blanket upon us, stirring our affections continually for the things of this world that we may be overcome and overwhelmed and consumed by possessions and appetite and security, lest we be involved in the great redeeming work of God that's happening all around us and all around our globe. So my hope this morning and I hope for Harvest Church is that we would have a great awakening, that there would be a return of a missional edge to our church as there was a missional edge to that church in East Asia that I had the privilege of worshiping with for that week. That we might remember that God is not chiefly concerned with us, but he's adopted us as sons and daughters, that we might be chiefly concerned with his kingdom going forth, that we might share his heart for missions, amen? So I wanna talk this morning about missions. Um, And let me just go ahead and say, um, when we say that, missions is a core value, we don't just mean um, overseas, international mission trip. We mean living missionally right here today when we dismiss and God literally flushes us out from the gathered church to the scattered church in all of our neighborhoods and all of our schools and all the places that we work, that we have an opportunity to live with that missional edge that I believe is the heart of God. And so we encompass the both and of the ends of the earth and right here in the 901 when we have the core value of missions. Well, we see in Romans 10, what we just read, that um, how are they gonna believe unless someone tells them? How is someone gonna tell them unless they're preaching and how are they gonna preach unless they're sent and how beautiful the feet are the feet of those who bring the good news? Many people use this as a missional proof text of the Bible. That's the way I I hear it. You know, God is about missions. I mean, look at Romans 10. God, I'll tell you, there's no need to do that. Um, Missions doesn't begin with Paul's charge to the church in Rome uh, to bring the gospel to the nations. Um, And and by the way, it doesn't even start. I know what you're thinking. Yeah, yeah, that's right, Pentecost. And I'll tell you, no, missions doesn't begin at Pentecost, um, where God flushes out Jews from all over the world uh, uh, who hear the gospel in their language to the ends of the earth. Yes, that's a great missional act of our God. Doesn't begin there, and it doesn't even begin when Jesus Christ was slaughtered on a cross, not only for my sin and your sin, but the sin of the world. That wasn't where missions began. Missions doesn't begin in the book of Acts. It begins in the heart of God. And if you rewind all the way to the beginning of Scripture, you know what you find? You find a God in Genesis 1 and 2 who created man to be with him, to be in relationship and fellowship. And then Genesis 3, which we all know pretty well, Genesis 3, we see the fall of man. We see man in that relationship with God broken. Eve bit of that forbidden fruit and Adam stood passively by and the sin of Adam is our sin. So we're a people who have broken fellowship from God. And yet from that day forth, Genesis 3, 4, there's a God who pursues the broken with a missional heart. Amen. And so Genesis 11, when there's a scattering at the Tower of Babel, that they couldn't come together and comfortably be in one place with one people having everything they need, God said, no, I'm going to flush you out to the nations that the nations may know that I am God. And in Genesis 12, he chooses to uh, uh, take a man, Abraham, and a people, the Jews. He says, you'll be my people and I'll be your God so that you will be blessed and you will be a blessing to all nations. You hear this? 
Genesis 18 and Genesis 26 confirm the heart of God is for the nations. And God's people, hard-hearted, find themselves as slaves in Egypt. And in Exodus 7 and 4, we see the freeing of God's people by a series of plagues that God brought about. In Exodus 9, he says, I bring about these plagues to free my people so that, are you ready? The nations might know that I am indeed God. And when that generation would wander in their hard-hearted, stubborn sinfulness for 40 years in the desert till God literally kills them off and raises up a generation of orphans, when they get to the east side of the Jordan River, camped on Mount Nebo, God says, I'm going I'm to separate the waters of this Jordan just like I separated the waters of the Red Sea. I'm going to carry you through. I'm going to deliver you into the promised land in Joshua 4. You know why? So that all nations might know and believe that I am God. You see this? So we have a time where the land is settled and the judges rule, and then we move into the kings, and the second king, the most famous king, is King David. And David writes, the songs are inundated with David's heart for all nations. Psalm 67, he says, God, will you bless us so that all the nations will praise you? That's right, David. It's exactly right. Psalm 96 says, it is our great privilege to declare the glory of God to the ends of the earth. Amen, David. Something in David's missional heart must have passed on to his son Solomon, who in 1 Kings 8 dedicates the temple with these words, so that the whole earth may know that you are God and they may fear you. Amen, Solomon. And then the, uh, the, the kingdom splits and the prophets are called to call Israel and Judah uh, back into uh, relationship with God as they fall into sin. And of course, Assyria knocks out the northern kingdom and Babylon knocks out the southern kingdom. But God in his faithfulness saves a remnant and 70 years later he brings back Ezra to restore the law and Nehemiah to rebuild the wall. And there's a prophet raised up named Malachi. And in Malachi chapter 1, verse 11, God gives him these words. You tell them that from the rising to the setting of the sun... All the day long, my name is to be lifted up and made great among the nations. Israel, come back to your purpose. And then there's silence. 400 years of silence. Until one who comes as Elijah, named John the Baptist, comes and says, Behold the Lamb of God. There he is. And here is Jesus, the Passover lamb, finally to make atoning sacrifice for the sin of the world, that everything that which was a shadow in the Old Testament, we now have substance in Christ. And how about the heart of our God? Well, at the end of his ministry, Jesus huddles the disciples together around a rock, and he says, here's the game plan. Make disciples of all nations. Same play. Mark 16, 15, he says, go into all the earth and preach the good news to all creation. Acts 1.8, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's right here, Judea and Samaria, the outer lying uh, uh, ends of our nation, of our area, and to the ends of the earth. How much clearer can the heart of God be? It's communicated from Jesus to his closest followers. And so Paul would end Romans in Romans 16.26 with these words. He'd say, we are a mystery. The mystery is the church, Jew and Gentile together in Christ. And the mystery is this, that the church has been raised up to proclaim the gospel so that all the nations might know God and obey God. That's why he's brought each one of us into his church. 2 Corinthians 5 says that he has reconciled you to God through Christ and given you the ministry of reconciliation. Amen? And so Revelation 7, 9 says that one day, one day literally gathered around the throne will be a, a people that is from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. 
And they are gathered around the throne, and they are saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on his throne and to the Lamb. And in that day, we finally see a day when the great commission is complete, when the word of God is true and realized, and it is finished. Now, Professor Dr. Coleman would always say, Kenan, any activity this day that doesn't lend itself to the destiny of that day is an exercise in futility. And I think he's exactly right. And so here's the great challenge for the church in the midst of a, a, a culture where, uh, where we have become so largely and grossly consumeristic as the body of Christ. Here's the challenge, that we live in light of that day and not in spite of that day. That's our challenge is the church. And so let me just give you this terribly insufficient overview of the state of the world. Over 7 billion people, over 7 billion people, listen to this, 67% do not profess to know Christ. Now, many of those other can't profess to know Christ, and Matthew 7 is true. Many say, Lord, Lord, we knew you, and Jesus says, I never knew you. So we know the percentage is much higher, but 67% don't even profess to know Christ. Out of that group, 28%, that's more than one in four, 28% have no witness of the gospel. For the most part, never heard of Jesus. Never had a gospel presentation with which to understand and respond to. Hence the words in Romans 10, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. 28% unreached. In that 28% is represented 7,000 people groups. 7,000 people groups that have no gospel witness exist in the world today, mostly and largely in that 1040 window. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can Google it. 10% latitude, or 10 degrees, sorry, latitude, to 40 degrees latitude that cuts right through North Africa, the Middle East, and uh, Southern Asia and India. Most of the 7,000 in that region, no, no knowledge of Jesus Christ or his gospel. And I hope there's something inside of you that that says, how can we get the gospel to them? And I hope that what's inside of you is simply the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of our Lord who from the beginning, as we've just seen, has always had a heart that is missional, that is to make his name known as Steve prayed, his name and fame known among the nations. Is his heart your heart this morning? And if you're thinking, well, gosh, I've never really thought about it, I just say be careful, church. I think that's the point. In many ways, in many respects, we're asleep at the wheel. Don't miss the great privilege of being the church. That we're the mystery raised up by God to proclaim his name to the ends of the earth, that he is known What about locally? Um, you know, in this city, over a million people, um, 700,000 non-church people in Memphis. Isn't that a staggering? And that's the greater Memphis area. 700,000 non-church people in the greater Memphis area. Uh, out of that, interestingly enough, 150 to 170,000 are actually from the nations. They're actually nationals. They've been brought here from other cultures, other ethnicities, made up largely of Latinos and uh, Indians and Asians, um, 150,000 of those non-churched are from the nations just to make the point that God's brought the nations to us 
And it's, by the way, Memphis, Tennessee is uh, a place where he's large, and thanks to the FedEx, which is right down the street, being a national headquarters that kind of leads the way and pioneers diversity. Literally, in this area of town, God has surrounded us with the nations. The question is, do we have the nations on our heart? Well, I want to spend a little time this morning just giving us some application. Uh, how do we get the nations on our heart? What, what should I do if I've been uh, maybe in that camp that's been somewhat asleep at the wheel? I, I haven't thought about it. I haven't been dreaming. I don't have compassion for the lost. Well, let me just give you a few things in way of personal application. And this is where I would really encourage you to write these things down. Number one would be um, pray. Going back to Matthew 9, it always starts with pray earnestly. Let me ask you this question that a, a retired minister, uh, elderly man, asked me one day that just floored me. Here's the question. He said this. He said, Kenan, if God were to take all your prayers of the last six months, so I'll give you a moment. Think about what have you been praying about for the last six months. I'll let you just kind of roll that through your mind. What has been on your, who have you been praying for? What circumstances have you been praying towards or against or within? What have you been praying largely about? Well, the question was this, Kenan, if God were to answer all your prayers, boom, he just answered them. Like six months, done, according to your will. If God, which he doesn't always do, for, uh, which is for our sake and his glory, but if he did, he said, how would the world be, the world be radically impacted for Jesus Christ? And he just stoned me in that one question. I immediately right there just thought, I just they wouldn't be. If I'm honest, uh, my circumstances would be changed. Uh, uh, so, some of my, uh, the condition of some of my family members might be changed. Maybe even the spiritually condi spiritual condition of some of my uh, extended family members might be changed. But how would the world be a different place, radically changed for Jesus Christ? And I knew right then, wouldn't be. It was a mirror reflection of the fact that I wasn't praying for the nations. I didn't have the nations on my heart. And if you're out there today and you're going, gosh, guilty as well, like, I, man, wouldn't, a bit, wouldn't be much different. Here's what I'd encourage you to do. Prayer allows, allows us, affords us the chance to get on our heart what our God has on his. There's nothing more dangerous than not having on our heart what God has on his. You talk about wasting your life in the stewardship of your salvation. That would be tragic. You'd be, as 1 Corinthians 3 says, one who makes it to heaven only as if one escaping the flames, which certainly isn't anyone here's great goal. So how do we get the nation on heart? Well, pray. Here, here's some things you can do. Number one, get familiar with um, operationworld.com. Now, it's got a book you can buy as well, but operationworld.com, this is helpful to me. I was clicking on Namibia a couple days ago. It was the featured um, country of the day, and, and it literally gives you, tells you what's, it tells the story of how the gospel's moving in Namibia, where the unreached peoples are, uh, where the persecuted church are, and you literally read it, and you see the pictures, and you know how to pray. I couple that with prayercast.com, and I love prayercast. If you're not familiar with this, you got to get familiar with this. We'll do some of our missions moment, uh, Lord willing, one day uh, on Prayercast so we can watch these things together in here. Um, Prayercast, I click on that same country of Namibia, and it has a, an indigenous uh, believer in Namibia praying uh, for the country uh, as I see real-life footage of the people and what's happening. Uh, you can just join in spirit with the guy praying. 
If you take this, make this part of your walk with Christ, and boy, what a beautiful thing to do with your family, to get around the dinner table, to find a country on the globe, to push play on prayer cast, and to listen to someone from that nation praying that the gospel go forth, that you join them, beautiful thing to do as a family. We begin to pray like that, here's what happens. God begins to put what's on his heart, which is all nations, onto our heart. Now we become somewhat dangerous. All of a sudden it's dangerous to the enemy that you're a believer. Let me tell you one more thing you can do. My wife's done this for years, and I appreciate it. Um, we order Voice of the Martyrs. It's a, a publication, and it's free. You can get it delivered to your house for free. And so it tells you about the persecuted church and what's really happening around the world. And so we read the stories, and we know how to pray for folks. Let me tell you one more thing you can do. Um, Steve and Pepper, two of our elders, are going to lead a class this um, December. Before our Sunday school uh, uh, has kicked off in January, we're going to take advantage of that moment in December. The first three Sundays in December, the 1st, the 8th, and the 15th, we'll have at 9 or 9.15, we'll announce it in your bulletins coming up, we'll have an hour before the service where they give you kind of an overview on world missions. And they're not only going to go through what's happening around the world, um, uh, they're going to teach you how to pray for the nations, and they're going to talk about the trips that Harvest Church is sending out next year, and specifically who we're working with, what we're doing, and how you might be able to be a part of one of these trips. So I'd encourage you to take that class. Take our class on missions starting December 1. So the first thing we can do is pray. Pray that God roll the nations on our heart. The second thing we can do is give. Second thing we can do is give. Um, something Catherine and I do that is um, very meaningful to me is we, we force ourselves to have kind of a sit-down, heart-to-heart a couple times a year. And we, we just push pause about every six months, and we sit down and we just talk about what exactly has God given us in terms of resources, like financial resources. What has he given us? Because here, here's what she and I don't want to fall prey to. We don't want to forget that these aren't our things and our money for our comfort and our security. That these are God's resources given to us as an entrustment to be stewarded for his glory. And by the way, I am susceptible of forgetting that. A year or two can pass and I can just be going and blowing and I can just never push pause and everything. And Satan can have me sound asleep with the rest of us. So we make a point to push pause and to talk. What does God give us and how can we honor him with what he's given us? How, how can we invest strategically? Don't we do that with our resources for our personal gain all the time? Don't we think real carefully? I mean, many of us hire people to strategically invest for greater gain. That's a good thing. What about taking God's resources and prayerfully and strategically investing for kingdom gain? Great thing. By the way, some of you may say, I am broke as a joke. Um, I got 10 cents over here. Listen, I would say this. I was told this when I was a college student. I found it to be profoundly true. Um, it doesn't matter how much you have if your heart is to give. The Lord can, can, he can take a, a couple fish and a few loaves of bread and feed 5,000. He's proved that. And here's what's true. If your heart is to give as a college student without hardly a few pennies to your name, you'll always have that heart to give, even if God blesses you with um, incredible wealth. But if your heart is not to give with a little, likely won't be to give with much. So no matter how much you have, how little you have, the point is to be a steward of what God's given you. Catherine and I love to talk about where are missionaries we know that are laboring faithfully for the gospel. 
Where's our church going? What's our church doing? How can we be a part of that? How can we pray towards that, give towards that, go on those trips? Um, Who are the people our church is supporting? How can we direct? And then we also talk about, what about on our street? Where is there physical need with those who are in our neighborhood or on uh, the corner of, of, of Perkins and uh, Summer Avenue near where we live? Like, like what physical need has God given us the ability to meet that's right in the front of our face? And are we being led by the Spirit in meeting that need? Are we being missional with our giving right where we are? We just ask those questions honestly. We pray about it, and then we have the joy of investing. It's no longer spending, investing those resources for the glory of God. To be honest, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's a lot more fun than spending my money. I figured that out. Um, it's even more fun than saving my money. Investing your money for kingdom impact is the most joyous thing that I can do with that which God's given me. And I pray that we as a church will do that. Well, thirdly, we can pray, we can give, and we can go. <clears throat> and there's going to be four, so this is not my little concluding point. Listen. I don't know, I, I, maybe some pastors say this. I've never heard a pastor stay, stand up before the congregation and say uh, what I'm about to say. And so I've wrestled with it. I thought, well, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> but I don't think I am. Um, here's what I want to say. I would literally, and I don't, I'm not just talking figures of speech or he's just kind of saying that to say something. I literally would love it if every single member of Harvest Church would take advantage of the great privilege to go overseas in a cross-cultural context and be a part of one of our mission trips. Now, I'm not saying the, the Bible mandates that for you. You've got the Holy Spirit as your governor and not me, but I would love it, and I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna let you see beneath the covers. Here's why I love it. Number one, what did Romans 10 say? How they know unless we tell them how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Let's take it. The direct application, but there is a number two. Every single time I've put myself in the somewhat uncomfortable um, a setting of being in a foreign context, not knowing the rules of engagement of the culture, and I've just become incredibly dependent on God to use me as a vessel, and as much as I hope that I've been a blessing to someone or a people in that place, here's what always happens. Without fail, God uses those trips to shape my heart. Without fail. So I'm not going to try to pull a fast one on you. I'm going to tell you right now, the reason I want you to go on a trip with us is because I know what God will do to you. I've seen it. I've experienced it. You don't come back the same. You see, you, you get out of your little kingdom in the 901 into God's kingdom, and, and all your, your gaskets are just blown. All of a sudden, you see what he's doing. You get a heart for what he's doing. You start praying differently. You start thinking differently. You start living differently right where you are. The greatest chance we have to be a missional church is we have a bunch of people that have had that kind of experience where God sows deeply in your heart what it means to live missionally and you bring it back and you live it. So I would love for every single member of our church to get on one of these trips. We'll help you figure it out because I believe it will help us to be a church that has not lost that missional edge right where we are in the 901. Amen? Well, there's a last application, personal application. Pray, give, go. And then here's the fourth one. I gotta say this. It's as you go. I don't know how else to say it. As you go. And here's the reason I gotta say this. It would be literally a tragedy in my mind if you guys heard my number three and thought, okay, I will, I'll do it. I'll sign up. I'll just take your word for it, and I'll sign up, and I'll go, and we'll see what happens. And so in June, I'm gonna be a part of the Great Commission. 
it would literally be tragic unless I take the 60 to 90 seconds to clarify that we don't wait until we go on a cross-cultural overseas missions trip to live missionally. That God has literally chosen you, think about it, chosen you and dropped you off right where you are as a missional agent of the gospel in your neighborhood, your workplace, your city, your home, your extended family, and he's got you there. Don't wait until the India trip to begin living missionally. Well, Pastor Ken and God specifically put Indians on my heart. Fantastic. We have tons of them living in apartment complexes right next to our church. Let's engage in cross-cultural ministry today. You guys with me? As you go, make disciples. Let's be a church that lives missionally. It's a both and. Let me just give you two examples of how you can do that locally. One, I think, I think we all have one thing in common. I think at least almost every one of us are probably in a neighborhood. We probably have neighbors. And here's a challenging question. Do you know the names of your neighbors? <clears throat> Take it past your immediate na- neighbor. Take it past two houses down. Can you think down the families on your street? How far can you get? important question. You know know why? God's put you there as his ambassador amidst the people that probably largely don't know Christ, and he literally assigned you to this place in this day. Are you asleep at the wheel? Are you missing out on the great privilege of living missionally for Jesus Christ, joining in our God whose heart is for the nations? And by the way, that you may be, I'm the hugest introvert, it's not going to work. Listen, introverts can be fantastic at this, because the most important weapon we have is what? Somebody say prayer after three weeks of preaching on it. Somebody say prayer. Pray earnestly. Now, it helps if you know their name. Um, you might want to bring them a dessert or some bread or knock on a door or whatever. But literally, meet them. Go home. Here's what I, I go home and I literally have a little chart and I just write the names because I want to memorize it and remember because I can't remember everybody's name. Um, so I got a cheat sheet. And I look for opportunity. And when you start learning names and you start praying for people that you don't even know, you'll start wanting to get to know them. You'll see them kind of driving by in the morning for work, and you'll stop and roll the window down. You're like, what am I doing? What am I doing right now? And all of a sudden, you find yourself talking to them. And it's just because you want a little bit of ammo to know how to pray for them. Before you know it, you're accidentally building a relationship with your neighbors. You might even have them over for a meal one night. You might see opportunities to serve them, just be the, 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 the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, just to love folks and serve them. And you might have opportunities to verbally share the gospel. It's an opportunity every single one of us in this room has to live missionally today. Today. Start taking walks at night. I know it's good for your heart. It's also great to get to know your neighbors. It's part of living missionally. I'm going to give you one more example. We mentioned a ministry called Visa a couple weeks ago. Let me just give you this example. Uh, this, this, there's a stat here that breaks my heart. Um, there's over a million international students um, on college campuses in America today. That stat doesn't break my heart. I think that's exciting. Um, of that one million, and by the way, we have uh, well over a thousand here at the University of Memphis, and I asked Jeff Presley, who's in our body and leads that ministry at Memphis, I said, Jeff, how many nations are represented by those students? You know what he told me? He goes, are you serious? I said, yeah, I'm just wondering, is there, he goes, I think almost all. Here's the stat that breaks my heart. 80% 
of, interna- of a million international students who come to America, they're usually here four to six years, and they go right back to their country, many of which are from largely unreached people groups, many of which are in the 1040 window, some of which are literally in the people groups that have never heard a clear gospel presentation. 80% are never invited into the home of an American while they're here. Four out of five, never even invited, which tells me this, we're ignoring them. You see him, I don't have anything in common, I don't know how, guys, I just ignore him. Students are ignoring him, the church of Jesus Christ is ignoring them. Here God has sent the nations to us, 80%, never engaged conversationally with any sort of hospitality to say, hey, can I make you a meal? You wanna know a fantastic way your family could be involved missionally in our city? At the University of Memphis, you find Jeff and Suzanne Presley at one of these lunches, and you say, when are y'all meeting? I'd like to get to know. You go to meet, and they have a 70 to 100 coming every week to a meeting with very few volunteers to work with them. That you get to know one gal who may be from Tanzania, and you invite her into the home, and you and your kids you have fun, just ask questions, just learn about her country. Learn about what's important to them. Learn about their culture. Maybe you adopt a student as a family. Maybe it's once a semester. And, and you give them care packages during exams. You just love them. You don't have to be some theologically trained varsity ninja Christian to do this. You just love somebody. Can you imagine if our church literally was loving on these students that way? How many of them might God send home as gospel-driven, regenerate believers of Jesus Christ, ready to bring the good news to their people? Amen? Just two ways. And by the way, we could sit here and brainstorm examples all the way till next Sunday. And so as you go, make disciples. Be creative. Have some fun with this. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. This is why we don't keep you under when we baptize you. All right? And just send you right on to glory. <laughs> I've thought about that. Wait a minute. If to be with Christ is far better, then what are we doing? Well, I'll tell you what we're doing. The mission of God Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Let me just tell, uh, close up here. I'm round and third heading home. Two church applications that we're going to embrace as a church. Um, we believe that there is incredible missional opportunities uh, um, uh, in countries all across the earth. We want to engage. We think there's incredible missional opportunities right here in our city. want to engage. And so locally, here's what we're going to do. And I won't lay this out in full now because we haven't figured it exactly out, but something like this will happen starting in February. January, we're launching our Sunday schools and and, uh, youth ministry and those things. We'll have our first membership meeting. For those of you who have completed the membership class and had your elder interview, that'll be January the 26th. Starting in February, we'll meet one Sunday night a month. In January and every other month following, it'll be a membership meeting. February and every other month following, it'll be what we will call harvest groups. We will come here, we will hear an elder share a devotional message, we will sing praise and worship songs, and then we will split up. And you will go to a geography in which you live or have a heart for around this area, or a ministry in which you're working with or have a heart for, such as Visa, I just mentioned, we will have a Visa Harvest group. Those that say, I'd like to get involved with those international students, well, that'll be your group. Those that say, I wanna be involved in the Harvest group in Germantown and start strategically praying for the gospel advancement in our area of the city, and within that uh, geographical location, we'll split up into groups and we will literally, with one another, go on mission in our neighborhoods, in our schools, around our city. 
We'll work through the neighborhoods God's places and the ministries that, that we're represented in here. And we're literally uh, in the messiness of following the Holy Spirit. And by the way, we're not gonna tell you what to do. We being the leaders, we're gonna ask you to pray. We're gonna just say, let's just do Matthew 9 and see what happens. We're gonna come together, we're gonna split up, and we're gonna get to pray for the salvation of those in this ministry or this area. And then you are gonna get to be led by the Holy Spirit with brothers and sisters of Christ who have a, a plethora of talents and gifts and resources, and you guys get to be on mission together for the glory of God in our city. And we're gonna have dozens of harvest groups. Every other month we'll come together to pray. You guys will figure out how you're gonna strategically operate within the realm of that area. Is that fun? I'm so, by the way, I have no idea what God's gonna do, but I'm incredibly excited about it. Because I believe the enemy is every bit as active today as he's ever been, and the effects are obvious right here at Memphis, but I believe the gospel is every bit as powerful as it's ever been. So I'm excited. Um, and the second thing, um, on a global level, uh, so we have 12 trips going out in this next year. It's our first year as a church, um, and that seems a little bit crazy, and maybe it is. Um, but I think we need a little dose of crazy every once in a while when it comes to living missionally. We have 12 trips, and the reason, and by the grace of God, amidst our elders, we literally have indigenous leaders that we're connected to, that are connected to the local church movement uh, in 12 different regions of the world. You can go on the website and read about them. And we're gonna send teams. We don't work uh, apart from or separate from the local church. We come uh, in congruence and um, as a servant to see how can we bolster and strengthen and catalyze the gospel witness that exists. So we will bring leadership training, discipleship training, systematic theology. We'll do evangelism with them in their streets and with their children. Uh, we'll be a part of orphanage work and mercy work and medical work. Um, we'll do all of those things as an effort to serve these leaders who are leading faithfully for the Lord in and through the local church. I'd love you to go on one if the Lord leads you to. If the Lord leads, I just want to affirm it. How do you know? First step is go through the missions class. It's the only way we can get on a smaller level. Here's what every trip does. Here's what it's about. Some of you may have specific gifts that align with what we're doing in a specific place. We want to share with you every trip, walk through them, and then ask you to pray about if there's a place you may. Maybe you get involved prayerfully. Maybe you get involved resourcefully. Maybe you go. We'll let the Spirit lead. But I invite you to start there. Well, let me just close our time with this story. I, um, at the end of that trip that I mentioned where I was in East Asia, um, it was literally the morning I was um, leaving, and uh, I was just outside our hotel, and we were waiting on a taxi. And there was a girl named Callie. She was 18 years old. Um, uh, as a student, uh, she had incredible translating skills. She was actually like my personal translator. It just was easier that way. She learned to work with me as I would teach hours on end at nights. And so Callie and I had gotten pretty close. Like she was a, a, just a beautiful, had a beautiful spirit about her. She just loved Jesus passionately. And, um, and we, as you can imagine, um, uh, uh, we had a lot of fun um, teaching together. And it was the last morning, and we had eaten breakfast with some of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And um, Callie and I were talking, and I was waiting for the taxi, and it just kind of hit me. I just hadn't thought about it. It just kind of hit me that, you know, I don't know if I'll ever see her again. Just kind of hit me. And so I, I just, before I thought twice about it, I just opened my mouth and said that. I said, Callie, um, I don't know if I'll ever see you again. And Callie looked back at me with all kinds of emotion. It was, it was almost like this confused disappointment. And she looked back at me and just kind of furred her eyebrows and said, don't be foolish. 
an 18-year-old student. I'm here as a pastor that's teaching in the underground church. She said, don't be foolish. I'll see you when we get there. Well, it was moments later, the taxi pulls up. It takes me about halfway to the airport to think, does she, does she think I'm going where she's going? Let me tell you, Callie had, had been praying about being a part of a movement called Back to Jerusalem. And if you've heard of this movement, there's thousands of um, Chinese brothers and sisters in Christ who feel God calling them to take the gospel right through the hardest, most difficult, most unreached places of the earth, which are just um, uh, uh, west of them, and, 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 and literally, literally walk from where they are all over China to Jerusalem and whitewash the unreached people groups with the gospel. They're trained with martyrdom awareness. They realize that it will be a journey that is difficult with much persecution that many won't actually get to Jerusalem. Well, Callie was feeling prompted to be a part of that movement. And she had shared that with me the day before. Um, And so in that conversation we're talking, it took me halfway to the airport to figure out, does she think I'm going to Jerusalem? I'll see you when we get there. And I literally just kind of stymied me. And at some point, you know, the fog kind of cleared. And I said, you know, Callie's not talking about Jerusalem. Callie's talking about Rev 7-9. Callie's talking about a day when she and I will gather again. And we will be crying out in white robes and waving palm branches, salvation belongs to our God who sits on his throne and to the Lamb. And Callie has tethered her life to the reality of that verse and is walking as if it's her today reality. Is living in light of that day, not in spite of that day. And so as she tells me out, don't be foolish, it was the, Kenan, don't waste your life. Kenan, don't hold your life so tightly that you miss the opportunity to be on mission for our God because that day's coming and I'll see you when we get there. Don't passively back in. Steward the moment you have. I went to East Asia as a missionary. And I learned from an 18-year-old student what it means to live missionally. My prayer is that what burns in the heart of Callie, even to this day, would burn in your and my heart. A Revelation 7-9 reality. That we run hard together as the heart of our God is ours. We have a missional God. His mission is the nations. Amen. Let it be so of us. Father, I thank you for this time that we can uh, just talk about uh, that which is so important to you. That from Genesis 1 to Rev 22, we see that you are after the nations. And God, you've redeemed us and called us according to your purpose. You've given us a new position in Christ and a new purpose to share his love with those around us. We have neighborhoods and offices and families, and yet the ends of the earth. We stare at that globe and we dream about how the gospel might advance. And we ask the question, we dare to ask the question, God, how might you use me? How might you use us? Let us be a part of spreading your kingdom and not ours. Let us not waste the stewardship of our salvation. Let us not be asleep at the wheel for another day. Lord, thank you for the beautiful purpose of seeing your name lifted up and made great among the nations. We pray that that be a reality in our day, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.